Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. This episode is brought to you by Hudson Supplies. Hudson Supplies is a manufacturer and distributor of PPE for first responders, currently offering face masks for minimum protection and a disinfectant suited to COVID-19. We will win the fight against COVID-19. Visit www.hudsontactical.com for more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Blue Line, the podcast. I'm Renee Foncar, the editor of Blue Line magazine. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you're all well and safe and trying to remain positive. Everyone listening who's on the front lines or in isolation, we want you to know you're not alone. Like many of you have already posted, we're in this together. We will come through this health crisis and we'll be here for the stories and the news specific to you to carry you through this, I promise. With that, today we have a very special guest on the line, Deputy Shauna Coxon with the Toronto Police Service. She began with GPS in 1996 when she worked in downtown Toronto on the front line and then in vice and other investigative units. Prior to becoming deputy in 2017, Shauna worked on the Transformational Task Force, where she helped to design and begin implementation of the modernization of the service. Her focus on the task force was information technology, culture change, and training. She also started the inaugural Computer Cybercrime, or C3, section, one of many cyber outcomes from her work as the team leader of Operation Reboot. This was a service-wide initiative addressing social media, open-source investigative techniques, training, technology procurement, and cyber-related threats and opportunities. A passionate volunteer, Deputy Coxon also has a PhD in criminal law. Her areas of research include varying local and international laws pertaining to technology and crime, and she is a published academic who has lectured internationally. Plus, she's one of the innovative leaders at TPS that I had my eye on spearheading a new public safety digital tech transformation project named the Analytics Center of Excellence, which I'm excited to learn more about today. Deputy, thank you so much for your time and joining us uh, during these difficult times. We're honored to have you here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So so how are you doing? I got to ask, you know, it's top of mind. I've seen your social media feeds and I know you've been busy spreading awareness uh, to help flatten the curve and keep others accurately informed, encouraging those who can to stay home. It's, it's, a, it's a lot right now. Yeah, these are unprecedented times for sure. How are you doing at TPS? How is the atmosphere there? I, we are really focused, myself and the rest of the command team and the chief, of course. Uh, we're, we're here every day still at headquarters. We're, we're working every day. We're making decisions very quickly, trying to make sure that we can keep the community safe as well as all of our members safe. And I've been going on a daily basis to different divisions and units in the city as well. And I can tell you I'm so proud of uh, the men and women of the Toronto Police Service. You really see during difficult times how they rise up, their professionalism, their ability to just jump in and adapt and do what needs to be done. And who would have thought that we'd be facing a pandemic like this? Yeah, you know, it still quite honestly hasn't sunk in for me, right? It, it, you're working from home, and, I, and I'm a bit more removed from it than uh, you guys on the front line and, and in policing uh, directly. But it's it's still hard to really grasp that uh, we're in the thick of this right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I and I think uh, we're not there yet. I think the next uh, 30 to 60 days are going to be very impactful in terms of seeing whether we will be like New York and what they're facing, or whether we can uh, you know flatten the curve and not have as large an impact on our community. 
Right. Yes, this this will be the month. It's it's a game changing month. Um, can you walk us through some of the the bigger changes maybe at TPS that uh, you're seeing having the most impact on police officers right now? Yeah, I think you know the, the impact of social distancing and what that looks like when you're a frontline member uh, has been uh, a significant change. If you look at how we parade when we're getting ready to go out on the road, uh, you know we have officers or parking enforcement officers, special constables are being paraded in uh, large spaces where they're far apart from each other. Um, the use of one-person cars, we've been pushing out as many cars as we can to the front line. In fact, uh, shout out to our people in fleet who have been working uh, extensive hours trying to get as many cars as possible because where we would often have two uh, people in a car, now we're trying to have one person per car where possible specifically to keep social distancing even when people are going to calls. Uh, the use of uh, PPE and constant cleaning and, and then the awareness as well as dealing with a public that is afraid, you know, and, and who are looking at police officers in a, in a space where we're trying to build public trust, but we are also not just educating, but at times enforcing new laws around social distancing out in communities. It's very challenging. Yes, it's just like another role that's been added to the already uh, numerous hats that our officers are juggling, right? Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned PPE. I'm curious, uh, has PPE uh, and the supply at all been a an issue yet for you? Not yet. I can say that in the first few days, uh, certainly it was something we had our eye on from the very beginning, uh, particularly with respect to masks, uh, getting goggles issued and uh, hand sanitizer. Uh, it, we were a little bit challenged at the beginning because things happened so very quickly, but we have had all of those things out to the divisions uh, and the supply chain that we have now has been very strong and I'm confident that we'll have enough PPE as we go forward. It's something that uh, the incident command team uh, working with us as well has had their eye on every single day. It's been something to be discussed and we, we continue to source where we can new avenues to get more. Okay, that's great. Wonderful. All right. Well, uh, I know this outbreak has, has led to an opportunity, uh, shall we say, for cyber criminals to really prey upon the anxious. And fraudulent activity has increased in some areas. More people like myself working from home. So phishing attacks and malware distribution mm -hmm. is, of course, you know, top of mind. Um, the specialized investigators in cybercrime or counterterrorism should pay particular attention to online marketplaces, Interpol uh, wrote in one of their guidelines for, for law enforcement during COVID-19 um, response. So, so that being said, with your expertise in the cyber realm, uh, tell us more about what you're seeing there uh, in cyber because of this pandemic. Well, certainly attacks are up, and they're up everywhere, not just in Canada. Uh, the other thing that police agencies just need to be thinking about is not just the number of attacks and how that affects the community, but the fact that uh, we are, as police agencies, we are all high-value targets as well, and we have to be looking at what a pandemic means. And just like when we look at terrorist attacks, people get very focused on the first attack and, and responding to that, and meanwhile, it may actually be preemptive to a secondary attack. So as we deal with the pandemic, it's really important that police agencies across Canada uh, focus on what may happen within the pandemic as people take advantage of the fact that communities are at home, people are at home. Uh, as a result, they're using, you know, technology that isn't as secure. This is true in, in the policing sector as well. We have to look at what we're using and what's appropriate for members to use. And we have to be prepared for the fact that we may have other events within the pandemic, which may challenge us to respond to. All right. Well said. Yeah. Critical infrastructure, right? Safeguarding, uh, you know, even our hospital networks as well, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Okay. Is there any um, other advice that you had for cyber units specifically in, in police agencies across Canada um, right now? I would just suggest that they be prepared for the fact that the pandemic isn't just going to increase the number of attacks, but you may see large-scale attacks mm-hmm. in, in ways that we haven't seen before because the opportunity is there in ways that it hasn't been uh, previously. And certainly there's uh, there's a lot of information out there that, that criminals are getting ready, just as we're getting ready to deal with the pandemic. So uh, not to take your eye off it and to be ready to have a plan for when those other events occur. Great advice. Awesome. Okay, so lots to think about, of course, as the situation continues to evolve. Uh, but let's let's change the tune here a little and, and chat more about you, uh, your passion for futurism and policing, uh, especially all things cyber, social, digital. You know, where where does that all stem from? Um, I don't know. I think I like the um, you know the, the idea of infinite possibilities, and I think that this is one of the most exciting times in history to be alive. And I say that even as we're in the middle of you know a terrible situation with the pandemic and and the radical changes that we're going to see in policing and in society as a whole when the pandemic is over. So I really like those spaces where there's chaos and where people don't necessarily know what to do because I always say that in the, in the seeds of chaos and the seeds of the turmoil of this pandemic right now are tremendous opportunities that we're going to see on the other side of it. So those are the things that excite me a lot. And I've, I've often thought about what society will look like you know, down the line in the future. And uh, I remember being a, a brand new rookie and talking about, why do we still write in memo books? You know, and this was like 20 mm-hmm. years ago. Why do we write in this small book? It makes no sense. Why wouldn't we yeah. just have a, you know, a small handheld device that we can use? And people just thought I was insane. And yet here we are on the cusp of that with connected officer programs right across you know, the country and internationally. Um, um, and so those kinds of things excite me. Beautiful. And that futures thinking right there, I love it. Uh, that was my last editorial. I kind of delved into dove into futures thinking. And, and there it is in action. It works. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, what has been your most memorable cyber-related incident on the job? Uh, there's been there was several, especially when the team was new. It was such a small, mm-hmm. dedicated team and such a great group of people. And um I would have to say probably the attack on Parliament in Ottawa, which sounds strange, but when that attack was unfolding, there was a um, simultaneous uh, bot attack that was synced with it, and we didn't know initially whether it was related or not. And so we were able to work internationally to do scrapes and to obtain information. It was a bot that was pushing out information related to, uh, it seemed to be related to the attack, but we weren't sure. And the information we were able to obtain, um, we were able to send up federally, and no one else had it. And that was just really exciting to see how something that is happening in real life that you're watching has this simultaneous piece that's online that would have been missed otherwise. So the small group of people working in a windowless office uh, in the Toronto Police Service uh, pulled off all this really interesting information and, and it just, it was fascinating to see unfold. The things you don't hear about or you don't know about right behind the scenes. There you That's go. That's right. Mm-hmm. Fun heroes. All right. Well, with that in mind, you know, the cyber um, or the C3 section, how, how has that involved, evolved since you implemented it? Well, it's bigger now. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a lot more capacity. Uh, the training and the technology has continued to improve, as it will over time. Um, so I think where it started out as a, a bit of an experiment, it's a, an integrated part of the police service, and not just integrated into 
you know, cyber type offenses, but real life offenses like looking at gang activity and, and that kind of thing, uh, and looking at how uh, online material uh, relates to it, but also looking at how digital evidence and and um, how it can be used to prosecute cases in different ways. Nice. All right. And, and was there a particular instance that you've been most impressed by with this section or, or proud of? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, there's been so many. There's been so many great mm-hmm. cases, and like we just talked about, we we don't typically publish our our cases when they've gone well because that makes us uh, vulnerable to attacks. You know, there's right. a lot of uh, people out in the space who would want to take a run at us if we publish them. But really, just the people, because uh, it's you know, technology always continues to evolve. But the people in that section, their their mindset for innovation, their excitement about learning and continuously growing and taking on new cases, you know, I, like I, I use the example, the first time we seized uh, cyber, uh, cryptocurrency, uh, we, we actually didn't have uh, anything to seize it with. We didn't have a wallet. Uh, so one of the officers in the unit actually used his own phone, created a cryptocurrency wallet. We moved all the money into it. And so we're just trying to make things work on the fly. Wow. And uh, certainly we were then able to get a device to move the, uh, that over to on a different wallet that was more secure. But, um, you know, these, these are things that the people in the unit took on just to make things work. And it, it was it, they're fantastic people. Amazing. And and innovation that's happening. Look at that. I, I like that. It's encouraging, you know, you to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, information sharing is, is huge. What what kind of partnerships um, does this section specifically uh, maybe nurture to continue to tackle, of course, this ever-evolving threat landscape in, in cyberspace? Uh, you know, the jurisdiction knows no bounds. Yeah. Um, so certainly there's partnerships that are more traditional in policing spaces uh, around the world. They're international, and it's an international network now that, that comes together to deal with this because there's no jurisdictional boundaries, and yet there are when you have to actually write an MLAT to try to get information and that kind of thing. But I am really excited about the partnerships that have happened throughout the service with respect to cyber, some of which are, are from that section and some of which are from other areas of the service. Uh, working with universities and not-for-profit organizations like DEF CON and Trace Labs, which is a subsection of, of DEF CON, using crowdsourcing uh, to get things done. And a, a great example of that was newspaper articles written over the course of this weekend on flatten.ca, which is not a partnership with us, but you look at what uh, students in the university sector are doing to try to get ahead of the pandemic and the information they're able to obtain that we would never get otherwise. And if you look at Trace Labs, and we've done, we did the first ever missing persons capture the flag internationally. The first one was in Toronto and we worked with Trace Labs on it and, and they did the lion's share of the work. They were incredible. And uh, those kinds of cases where we're actually able to get information on live cases to try to find missing people. I mean, now they've done capture the flag events around the world, Europe, Australia, the U.S., and uh, the first one was here. So those are the things that I'm really proud to see. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. I didn't know the first one was was right here. So that's that's great news. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Okay. So last summer, TPS released details about a new public safety um, digital tech transformation project named the Analytics Center of Excellence, or I believe um, it's, is it ANCOE? ANCO? It's ANCO. ANCO, mm-hmm. perfect. Okay. Everything's got an acronym. <laughs> oh, God, I know. Right? <laughs> Too many <Yeah>. acronyms. <laughs> so you're the command sponsor of this project. Um, and kudos on another, you know, fascinating and, and vital endeavor. So tell us a little bit more about, I guess, the overall goal of this specific project. So it's really about 
supporting the public safety priorities of the service by using excellence in analytics. What that means is we're having to do things more strategically. You know, you have to look at not just, and when you look at big data, what information is relevant, what information isn't relevant, how do you actually image information in a way that makes sense to the end users, which are in our organization often the frontline officers or investigators who need to be able to process that information and use it effectively. And so, um, you know, that's really the, the broader purpose of it, but of course we're also interested in driving a culture of innovation in public safety. So those are the, the key areas of this project. Awesome. That's a great mandate to get behind for sure. Where, where did the idea for this project come from? I, I, was it inspired by, you know, others doing something similar? Because I think TPS is the only police service in Canada that has such a project. I think maybe the city of Edmonton has a similar one. But, uh, yeah, I'm curious to know where, where the uh, roots come from. So certainly it's used in the public sector, and so a lot of interesting ideas that, that we, we get we do see as, uh, you know, a, a project of excellence that's already existing somewhere else in the private sector. And so this has been used really widely uh, in the private sector. I will say also that York Regional Police has an amazing uh, analytics program, and so we looked at what they were doing as well. Um, and, and so we've seen similar projects, but... It's unique to us, and you're right, not a lot of police services are doing it, uh, and particularly if we want to talk about agile uh, methodology and, and what that looks like, but it's certainly been foundational for us, and now with this COVID pandemic, it's really showing us how critical it is for our organization. Yes, I'm, I'm sure the stuff uh, that we're seeing now is only going to help us going forward when we have that data and we're able to reflect back. Uh, so that's it's great to have it uh, actually in the works and happening. Well, we actually have a team that's working with our incident command team and the, the, the members of ANCO are putting together dashboards in real time. So wow. as, as we need the information to be imaged, how do we deal with the pandemic? What do the calls for service look like? What do specific calls for service look like? What does that look like in different districts of the city and different divisions and how do we deal with that? Uh, dashboards are being built and put pushed out uh, almost daily, to, and they're being updated daily for sure, so that uh, everybody in the service has access to the information that they need to try to deal with the pandemic as effectively as possible. That's fantastic, and, it, and as up-to-date as possible, so I love it. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So is this just TPS staff involved in uh, ANCO then? Well, they're certainly leading, and they're doing the majority of the work. But we do have a few consultants that we've brought in, uh, and they're doing things like data modeling and visualization. And we also are leveraging uh, some MBA and geography students who are interns who are helping us with ANCO as well. Oh, fantastic. Okay. And I know um, I had read, you know, it's going to be utilizing agile project methodology. So mm -hmm. there's a number of definitions for this that I have compiled, but I'm curious, you know, how would you, in your opinion, describe this methodology? I think the the... the effectiveness of Agile is the ability to move quickly from priority to priority. So the, the sprint methodology, if you think of running for six weeks and, and then really looking at like where are we and what have we produced in six weeks, that piece of it, the, the, the sharing of information in ways that's real-time uh, and, and very collaborative. So we actually do stand-up meetings where everybody stands up and shares what they're doing that day and what they're working on so everybody hears it from each other. Uh, and that has also worked really well during the pandemic, sharing information. Everybody knows what everyone's doing, doing it every day, doing it very quickly, uh, creating uh, these dashboards in a sprint methodology that's even faster than six weeks as we, we need to get information out during the pandemic. What do we need? And then getting the feedback as quickly as possible from users. Is this the information we need? Is it imaged in a way that makes sense to us? No, it's not. We need some tweaking. And then doing it uh, very quickly so that the product is um, being 
unveiled in iterations. So you're, you're, there's one um, version of it and then another version and, another, and it just gets better and better. Uh, and you need to do that in the middle of a pandemic, right? It's like, yeah. okay, this is the best we have today. Fantastic. Tomorrow, as users tell us, no, that doesn't work for us, but the rest of it does. Boom, we get that out as well. So uh, we're seeing it work really, really well right now during this pandemic. Fantastic. That's awesome. What does the future, you know, look like for ANCO in, in your opinion? Well, I think it's a, a continuous project in the sense we always want to be improving and what improvement looks like will really be up to end users and what they think of the products that come out and whether it makes sense for them. I, you know, traditional IT has been that, you know, we have large scale projects and we still have those. And then when they come out, you get user feedback. And a lot of times then users will say after the fact, well, we don't like that. It doesn't feel like it was built, you know, for officers. It feels like it was an off-the-shelf product, which many things mm. are. It's not necessarily a bad thing. So I really do think that the success of Anco is how happy end users are with the product that they receive. I would hope that it would continue to evolve and improve. And we could even have a standalone unit in the future, maybe a subsection of IT that works on agile methodology to produce products that work really well for, for users, particularly around information sharing and doing things like deploying small teams out to units uh, for one to two months to get a real sense on what process mapping is and what it is that members need out in the field and then designing it for them so that they feel like they got something that they really wanted, uh, that they needed and, and were able to be a part of producing. Oh, I love that. I love the, you know, idea of, of members kind of first in terms of them having a, a say and a hands-on experience in, in building this and the future of this. Mm-hmm. And that's when members will use it, right? If an officer says, oh, this is exactly what I needed when I'm out on the road so that I can get certain things done, then they're likely to use it. It doesn't feel clunky and it's effective for everyone, right? Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So that in mind, uh, future focused, uh, you know, is there anything else you would like to see happen when it comes to cybercrime and tech and you know law enforcement investigations maybe the training side of it but down the road what 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 would you love to see happen Ah, I think we need a totally new model for cybercrime because it doesn't fit uh, in the way that other um, types of offenses do like in terms of investigations I mean so it's a matter of increasing our collaboration with unique partners like you know we saw with Trace Labs and Defcon but also to get the right skills and to get the right people hired that have those skills I'm not sure that they can come through traditional policing methods so you know the question is always do you hire a tech person and train them to be a police officer and and the skills of doing things like testifying in court and and maintaining good notes etc are you know they're hard to teach or do you do it the other way, where you take someone and you train them as a police officer and then you train them in cybercrime skills? And the fact is the technology is changing so rapidly that you need people who can continuously learn, but a model that is more hybrid that would allow us to have officers uh, working with um, cyber experts uh, in investigations, I think long-term is something that we really need to try to get a handle on, especially because, and we'll have to see what happens with the economy after this pandemic, but, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a war, if you will, for technological skill sets. So we're fighting with companies, you know, the banks that pay a lot more money, et cetera, for, for talent that's out there in the tech space. So I think we need to look at doing things differently. I always say cyber criminals, right? They're very innovative. They work together collaboratively. They'll work with people they've never met before on the dark web collaboratively. They're able to get things done very quickly, very effectively using technology that often is brand new or has not been seen uh, before. So, you know, we have to build a model that actually reflects 
cyber criminals and what they're doing. And currently our model is just uh, a little bit too traditional, a little bit too slow. We'll get there, but mm-hmm. it's very difficult to catch up with that space. And so we have to look at uh, potentially having a new model that would allow us to actually mirror how cyber criminals work, but from the investigative side. Wow. Yeah, fantastic. And that's fascinating too, because then you get into that almost a psychology part of it as well. <laughs> yes, that's true. There's yeah. so much happening there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, if you caught any of our previous episodes, um, mm-hmm. you know, we end each one with kind of two fun questions. We're going to give listeners a bit of a break and more of an inside scoop about you. So <laughs> that being said, what is something your colleagues might not know about you? Well, I, I've done a lot of volunteer work uh, overseas in different countries. My favorite volunteer work is in an orphanage in Kenya, uh, which I've been to about half a dozen times. I miss the kids there so much. And in fact, I was due to go to Zambia this summer to work at an orphanage because the happiest times of my life have been, you know, working in orphanages, uh, particularly in different countries in Africa. And I was completely heartbroken when the pandemic uh, came out in Toronto because I won't be able to travel to Zambia. And uh, <sighs> if, if I won the lottery tomorrow, that's where you would find me. Oh, wow. Oh, we'll get you there. You will get there. <laughs> it just Monday. might be a little later than this summer. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, beautiful. Well, uh, what about one thing that you, as a deputy chief of police, couldn't live without? I would have to say the amazing team. I feel so fortunate to get to be a deputy chief of police uh, over, um, you know, the people who work in the city of Toronto. And like I said, I was in the division this morning and I've been at one every day. And to just see, uh, you know, the members who are working on the front line every day and everything that they're doing, you know, there's kind of a running joke that we always had uh, when I was a constable, which is, you know, what is it with no white shirt around in the building? It's 2 a.m. on a Saturday night, right? Because when it's busy, uh, there's no deputies around, you know, just because our, our job is different and we're more strategic. But I'm always mindful of that because right now to see everyone going out and working so hard in the city during these difficult times, I just, you know, we have the best team ever. Oh, that's beautiful. And you know what? I, I have a feeling it's very reciprocal because I have heard so many, you know, great things about you. I've been wanting to meet you face to face. I'm so bummed that we couldn't meet up, but we'll, we'll make it happen. We'll have coffee in the future. For I sure, can't wait. So. I can't wait. Once we're able to actually like meet face to face. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's going to happen. We'll make it happen. So to the Deputy Coxon, thank you for, you know, making the time for us today uh, to chat more about cyber and coronavirus and policing cybercrime overall. It's just, it's been fascinating to hear more about TPS and, and your incredible work there. So we will touch base again soon and uh, you stay safe. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Stay healthy. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Line, the podcast. Make sure to check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us under Annex Business Media, Podcasts for Work. Also, check out our podcast tab on blueline.ca. And remember, we've postponed Blue Line Expo to September 29th. Thank you to everybody listening, especially those out on the front lines, protecting our communities. Stay safe. This episode is brought to you by Hudson Supplies. Hudson Supplies is a manufacturer and distributor of PPE for first responders, currently offering face masks for minimum protection and a disinfectant suited to COVID-19. We will win the fight against COVID-19. Visit www.hudsontactical.com for more. Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. Thank you.